0: My name is Jeremy Augusta. Welcome to another episode of In It Together. Today, I am talking to you solo from home. Brent is currently out of town, so I'm running the helm by myself this week. Uh, I want to talk about Roger Stone. I want to talk about the 2020 election, and I want to talk about the Electoral College. Okay, so the Electoral College, if you don't already know, is the way that U.S. citizens vote for their president. So when you go to the voters box, you don't actually vote for the person, although you think you do. You vote for your state and the electorates to represent that person. And then they do. They don't have to, but they have historically. So Colorado has joined Connecticut, California, Hawaii, Illinois, Massachusetts, Maryland, New Jersey, New York, Rhode Island, Vermont, Washington, and the District of Columbia in pushing to abolish the Electoral College in their state. Um, For a little bit of context and why Democratic states want to do this is that the Democrats have lost two states that they've won the or they've lost two elections they've won the popular vote for in 16 years, so 2000 and 2016, four times total. And if you calculate all that with every single election, that's a failure rate of 7%. So that's 7% of the time when people vote for a candidate and that candidate wins the popular vote, they don't become president, which is a pretty bad system, I think by all accounts. I'm not sure how you can argue that this is democratic to subvert the actual popular vote and replace it with the vote of these electorates, oftentimes who are not known. Um, So the the electoral college is made up of 538 votes, and they're unequally split between groups of citizens by state. So every state has at least three, even if they mathematically shouldn't. So if your state doesn't have enough people to get to three votes, then you're given one, and that vote comes from a state who has more. So for example, California has less actual electoral college votes than they should have, and states like uh, Virginia, I believe, or um, I'm sorry, like New Hampshire and Vermont don't have as many, or have more electoral college votes than they should. Um, so states with more electoral college votes have more propor- proportional power for citizens voting for them. So if you're a citizen voting in Vermont, then your vote counts more than a vote from California. That's factual. So the point of the electoral college vote, a lot of people argue, is to get candidates to pay attention to small states, and it doesn't do that so small states don't get visited by candidates and they hardly get paid any attention to so that's one point for the argument of keeping them around that doesn't make any sense. Um, the The logical leap that this makes that the presence of the electoral college vote makes is that states are the ones that vote for the candidate and the electorates of that state do that also overshadows the people in that state who vote for the candidate that didn't win so for example if your candidate wins 50.1 percent of the vote then all of that state's electoral college votes get assigned to that candidate which doesn't really make sense democratically right um This system is also super easy to abuse. Uh, Not really easy, but looking at it mathematically, it is fairly easy to manipulate. So there's a great YouTube video by CGP Gray, who I highly recommend, especially when he talks about this topic. He says, in theory, candidates could win, and the states that a candidate could win to get the Electoral College vote and to win... Are Wyoming, DC, Vermont, North Dakota, Alaska, South Dakota, Delaware, Montana, Rhode Island, New Hampshire, Maine, Hawaii, Nebraska, West Virginia, New Mexico, Nevada, Utah, Kansas, Arkansas, Mississippi, Iowa, Connecticut, Oklahoma, Oregon, Kentucky, Louisiana, South Carolina, Alabama, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Maryland, Missouri, Tennessee, Arizona, Indiana, Massachusetts, Virginia, and New Jersey. And although no candidate will probably ever win all of those together, a candidate who won all those states would have 51 or 50.1% of the electoral college vote and only 22% of the electoral or of the actual vote. So if only 22% of the citizens of this country vote for a candidate and they live in these states, 51% of the electoral college vote will go to the candidate who would then win. That's not democracy. That's not how one person one vote like works. That doesn't that doesn't mean what what it's made out to do. Uh, It's also a good thing to mention that these electoral college votes aren't automatically assigned to the popular vote. This ostensibly means that if the electorates from a state believe that the candidate their citizens have voted for is not fit to run office, they could vote independently of their voters, which is a point that I think is ridiculous. So that's equally undemocratic as having 21% of the total citizens in this country vote for someone and that person win. Like not representing your citizens the way they've told you to vote is not a good thing, and the Electoral College can currently do that. Um, what's really good about this is that even Donald Trump is in favor of getting rid of the Electoral College. So although he is, of any candidate historically, the most likely candidate that an Electoral College would abandon its popular vote and vote against, Donald Trump said on Fox and Friends about a year ago, I would rather have a popular election, but it's a totally different campaign. So he probably doesn't know what the Electoral College actually is, but that's his opinion of it. I'd also like to mention this really terrible article by a website called Investors Business Daily, who I've never heard of up to this point. They have a really terrible fear mongering editorial that says, the title is Getting rid of the Electoral College. It would lead to the breakup of America. Or worse. So if somebody's bringing out that worst case scenario against your argument, you're probably in pretty good shape. Uh, To quote the article, the first acts of a new Congress usually hold great significance. They would set a tenure, a tone for what is to come. If so, Americans should be very worried about the new Democratic led Congress. Despite what you've heard in the leftist media, this is a very bad idea. It would not only be anti democratic, which is a point I've already argued, I think, effectively against. But it would actually lead to the disillusion of our nation. Those who propose this idea betray a shocking lack of historical and civics knowledge and appreciation for how our nation works. So I've laid out the ways that the electoral college works listener. Um, and I don't think their statements are in line with that. They continue. Why is this so important? The electoral college has kept bigger States from bullying and pushing around smaller States along with the Senate in which each state gets two senators regardless of size. And, Demo- and in quotes, Democrats want to get rid of that too. I don't think they do. That's just a blanket statement that maybe one Democratic somewhere wanted wanted to get rid of. Uh, they continue, the Electoral College gives small states a voice. Now we've already established that that isn't true. Big candidates, or actually any candidate, running on a federal level do not visit low population states. That's just factual. Hillary Clinton does not go to North Dakota to try and get votes. And I'm fairly certain that Donald Trump did not go to small, incredibly small states that have few electoral college votes. Because there's no there's no point like three electoral college votes when you need to campaign in a state like Florida, Ohio, Pennsylvania or Michigan, which are purple states who can flip are like those are where you want to spend your time and that's where you want to spend your money. Um, this article continues. Many of the small states are traditionalist, small town oriented, conservative, and Republican. Red states, in short. Getting rid of the electoral college would give blue states political domination over red states. Democrats don't give a hoot about democracy. What they care about is power, and eliminating the electoral college and circumventing it would give Democrats that. Again, people who are for maintaining the electoral college are against using the popular vote to determine who becomes the president. That's as simple as it gets. So to recap once again, if you are for democracy and you're for one citizen, one vote, and you look at the points and the purpose of the electoral college, which is to quote unquote, protect the citizens from somebody they vote for who is unfit for office, which is undemocratic, or it is to get candidates to visit small states, Which it doesn't do. So the two purposes of the Electoral College, and if somebody can find out a third, I would love to hear it. The two purposes of the Electoral College are not working. And there's been four elections, two in the past 20 years, where the Electoral College has gotten in the way of the candidate winning the popular vote from becoming president. Now I don't, Want to make it seem like I'm being partisan here. And even though the Democrats were the victims in 2000 and again in 2016, I don't think this is a good place for partisanship. So, everybody in America can agree that the goal is democracy. Well, I I take that back. Not everybody in America. Mitch McConnell does not agree that democracy is the goal. If the goal is one citizen, one vote, and the people with the most votes wins. Then the electoral college is fundamentally against doing that. Next, I want to talk a little bit about Roger Stone, who was advisor, friend, apparently told Donald Trump to run for office. According to him, um, provocateur. I could go on. Roger Stone uh, was arrested by the FBI. I believe we talked about this last week, but a little bit of a little bit more information has come out. Uh, according to Business Insider, Stone was putting crosshairs of the FBI over communications with a Russian hacker his alleged communications with WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange as the FBI took look, excuse me, Stone was put in the crosshairs of the FBI over communications with a Russian hacker and his alleged communications with WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange as the FBI looked for connections between Trump's campaign and Russia meddling in the 2016 election. Thursday's filing repeatedly referred to Stone's contact with Organization One, which has posted documents stolen by others from the U.S. government and citizens. So that's pretty clearly WikiLeaks. The filing said it released tens of thousands of documents stolen from people, including the De- Democratic National Convention and the personal email account of the Clinton campaign chairman, John Podesta. So yeah, that that paints the picture that this is, in fact, WikiLeaks. Uh, the filing also said Stone deliberately obstructed investigations by the FBI, House Intelligence Committee, and Senate Intelligence Committee into the Russian interference in the election. So, with that, and I I totally called that Roger Stone would be the next person indicted. I wanted to look at the other people tied to the Trump campaign who are now in jail or facing prison time because of the things they did either around the Trump campaign or for the Trump campaign. So, we have Paul Manafort, Donald Trump's ex campaign manager, Uh, He was charged with conspiracy against the United States and conspiracy to obstruct justice. He then lied to federal prosecutors. Paul Manafort also has a long history of doing very illegal things. So Paul Manafort worked for Vladimir Putin kind of as an ambassador to the Russian or Ukrainian president um, when the Ukrainian crisis kind of happened. Um, I once read a, I saw a screenshot of a text between his daughters where they described the terrible things that their dad had done, which is always a great sign when your daughters think your dad's a terrible person. Uh, Michael Cohen, who is now afraid to testify because he is afraid of Donald Trump, uh, was in jail or is in jail for five counts of tax evasion, lying to Congress, two counts of campaign finance fraud. Uh, Cohen told a federal judge that he made payments in coordination with and at the direction of a candidate for federal office and that he did so for the principal purpose of influencing an election. So he says he was told by Donald Trump to do illegal things, which is illegal for you to do if you're telling your personal lawyer that. Uh, We also have Michael Flynn, who famously chanted, Lock her up. A national security advisor pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI about his contacts with the Russian ambassador during the transition period. <clears throat> Next, Rick Gates, a Trump aide and de- deputy campaign manager who uh, was facing charges of financial fraud, lying to federal investigators, money laundering, and making false statements. We have George Potadopoulos, um, who Donald Trump described as a coffee boy. He actually worked as a campaign aide and and junior foreign policy advisor. He got charged with lying to investigators. We have Alex Van Der Zwan, which, who is the son-in-law of a Russian billionaire. He misled investigators about a conversation he had with Rick Gates, the former Trump campaign aide. <coughs> we have Alexander Van Der Zwan, who is the son of a Russian billionaire. Um, he misled investigators about a conversation he had with Rick Gates. And the, um, okay, one more time. Alex Vanderswan, who's the son in law of a Russian billionaire, he misled investiga- investigators about a conversation he had with Rick Gates. We have W. Samuel Patterson, who's essentially a Ro- Russian lobbyist who failed to register as a foreign agent, who now we're seeing a lot of pictures of with uh, Republicans like Scott Walker and Mitch McConnell, I believe. <clears throat> Uh, I think it's Pattern or it's a different Russian lobbyist whose contacts with the NRA are quickly coming out, um, so there could be more charges from that. Uh, lastly, we have Richard Pinedo, who's just a random guy from California, and it's a, investigators believe he helped move Russian money around. He pled guilty to identity fraud. He's basically a hacker. So those are all the people that uh, have either face justice or will face justice in result of uh, the Mueller investigation and other FBI investigations. So the point that uh, the witch hunt is um, a witch hunt doesn't really make sense because that's what? uh, One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine people that we know of who are in jail or are facing jail time because of their connections with the Trump campaign. So there you go. Okay, so it's time for our weekly conversation about what Democrat has decided to join the 2020 race. This week, it is Cory Booker, who has a really nice uh, logo. Out of looking out of all the logos right now, uh, I thought Ojeda's is really good, but unfortunately he's dropped out. There are some really bad ones, so Camilla Harris's logo is pretty garbage. Um, Gillibrand's is really good. Uh, uh, I'm going to talk more about the logos later. I'll get to that. So, Cory Booker just announced his presidency. He is a U.S. Senator from New Jersey. Um, He's 49, so out of the people running, he's fairly young. Uh, He'd be a super young president, actually, at 50, compared to Donald Trump, who's in his 70s, Hillary Clinton, who is in her or approaching her 70s. Um, Now, I'm going to rank the candidates. Okay, so right now, looking at who's running, the quick rundown of who I think is going to perform really well going into the debates is Sherrod Brown, although he's not announced his presidency, or his run for presidency. We also don't know what his logo looks like. Um, Number two, I'm going to put Cory Booker. He's a really great speaker. Uh, I think he'll do really good on stage, and his being in New Jersey is a... No, cut that... <coughs> I like Cory Booker a lot. I think he's going to be really good on stage. I think he's a really good debater. Uh, Third, I will put Camilla Harris. She's also a really good debater. Uh, Camilla Harris is a U.S. Senator from California. So not a super like purple state to come from to help you get electoral college votes. But still, I think she'll perform just fine at the debates. Uh, Fourth, at the debates, I'm going to put Kirsten Gillibrand. Uh, She's a senator from New York. She's 52. Uh, Great logo, as I've said. Uh, Then Elizabeth Warren. I think she's going to get kind of outclassed by the more middling Democrats, and she might get poked fun at for her more leftist views. Her, along with Bernie Sanders, I think are going to be in the same boat, and I think Bernie's going to take a lot of the Elizabeth Warren voters that she would had away. The only advantage to Elizabeth Warren is she is a lot younger. Um, She's also a woman which the Democrats have been playing around with running for president. I know Hillary Clinton has been trying forever, or had been trying forever. Hopefully she's given up now. Um, Then at the bottom of the pack, we have Tulsi Gabbard, who is going to drop immediately, I think. John Delaney, who's also going to drop immediately. Julian Castro, who I think is going to drop quicker than the other people I've mentioned. Castro's from Texas, Delaney's from New Jersey also. Uh, There's no point in voting for Delaney when Cory Booker is from... Oh, excuse me. He's not actually in New Jersey. He's from Maryland. Um, Then we have uh, Gabbard, who's from Hawaii. Uh, Her uh, homophobic comments, like blatantly homophobic comments, I think are a blatant disqualifier. And I don't know why she's really running now. Um, It seems like that's a little too fresh in people's minds for her to to come back from. Um, Oh, uh, Gillibrand is from uh, New York. I think she's going to be good, but I think between her and Booker and these groups of East Coast Democrats, I think Booker is the standout among them. I think Booker and uh, Sherrod Brown, if he decides to run, are going to be the two standout candidates. Now, more importantly, I want to break down the logos for each of these candidates and rank them. So, in first place by a mile, we have Gillibrand's, who's simple, uh, it's got just the right amount of color, the font's great, the kerning's great, whoever Gillibrand's graphic designer is needs a raise, because damn, that is good. Uh, Bernie Sanders, I'm going to look up real quick, because although I have it on a shirt, I don't currently have that shirt on, and I forgot what it looks like, because it's been about three years. Uh, Yeah, Bernie Sanders' logo is classic. It stands out. People recognize it. It's just the clean, baby blue Bernie with a red line underneath it. And then if he's running for president, uh, nice 2020 centered. I think that's a really great logo. Uh, Third, I'm looking at these. Mm, I'm going to go Julian Castro's because Julian Castro's is his name in a box. One nation, one destiny. That's a great slogan. Puts it right there. Uh, There's a little uh, light blue accent over the A in his name, which is really great. The choice of using his first name rather than his last name is interesting. I think the Castro name might be a turnoff for some people. Uh, So I think the Julian is a a good move. But I'm worried uh, that name recognition is his issue. And him running with his first name of Julian might not be the best behind him I'm gonna go yeah like that Cory Booker's is pretty good Cory Booker's has it's divided 50-50 it has Cory in a red box and then 2020 in a blue box I'm not sure on the colors on this one um the Cory is white the 2020 is black it's okay uh I think his ads really make up for it I saw one of his ads today and it was it was clean this website's clean too Cory Booker you got a great website, man. You can tell he gets a ton of donations, some from the pharmaceutical company. Uh, Behind Booker, we have the little-known Pete Gig. I'm saying that totally wrong. It's spelled B-U-T-T-I-G-I-E-G. I I don't think anybody with the word butt in their last name could ever become president. But his logo's pretty good. He has the Pete really big, which you should definitely run with if your last name has butt in it. Uh, a lot like Elizabeth Warren, or not Elizabeth Warren, sorry, Gillibrand's uh, super simple, strong lines. I like it, Pete. He doesn't have a website for me to critique yet, but if he did... Oh, he does actually have a website. Let's take a look. Oh, this website sucks. Nah, Pete, you need a better website. Um, I totally lost my page. Uh, Behind Pete, uh, I'm going to put Elizabeth Warren, Camilla Harris... Tulsi Gabbards, John Delaney's all in the your guys's are pretty boring and you need to hire a new graphic designer. Tulsi's is black with like a red and orange fade in the middle, like like a setting sun and then 2020 underneath it. The fonts, OK, uh, again, running with the first name, which if your first name is only five letters, you probably should because it fits way better on a poster. Camilla Harris is, is a disaster. It looks like a project from a freshman. Oh, my God. Her website is bad, too. It looks like eh, it's not terrible, but it looks like a um, it looks like something a freshman college student does in their graphic design class. It has Camilla Harris in a deep blue and then for the people in a bright red all caps. And it's kind of like a word bubble. So I'm not, I'm not feeling that one. Elizabeth Warren's is pretty boring. It just has her last name in all caps with a black line underneath it. No message, no 2020. Doesn't even look like she's running for president with it. So I'm going to put that in last place, I think. It's a last place tie between Warren and Kamala Harris. Delaney's is pretty meh. It has his name in a, like a navy blue with a red and light blue stripe through the D. Because uh, he's a Democrat, get it? For president in 2020. You don't need to put the four president, John Delaney. We know what the 2020 means. So there it is. That's your definitive ranking of the logos for people running in 2020. Ojeda's was really good. But unfortunately, he's no longer running. Um, Yeah, his was like an O with red and blue and an eagle in it with wings. It's really, it's pretty badass, honestly. So if. The 2020 election is anything like how good these logos are. This, brand, this really is a race for branding because we're going to see who stands out based on. <coughs> we're quickly going to see which candidate stands out. I think mostly based on how they present themselves at the debates, what their ads look like, what their branding looks like, and where they position themselves in the Democratic Party. So all the way on the left, you have Bernie Sanders. Then you have Elizabeth Warren. Then I'm going to put... I don't know who to put. The rest, Camilla Harris, Gillibrand, Gabbard. Uh, I'm going to skip Delaney and Castro and Fatigue because they're, non, they're non-starters. So Booker, Gabbard, Gillibrand, and Camilla Harris are all pretty towards the middle of the Democratic Party, I think. Camilla Harris is kind of playing with the AOC wing. She's kind of praised AOC here and there, which I think is a really good way to lead yourself into the more left side of the Democratic Party. Sherrod Brown made some comments about uh, striking the balance and appealing to progressives and the working class, which is a really good message to send. Sherrod Brown's from Ohio. So I think he's going to be better than all of these other candidates at getting the Rust Belt states like Ohio, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. These are areas that Democrats absolutely have to win to get, as I've mentioned before, the Electoral College votes Really, that that is where you need to focus your campaign. And if Sherrod Brown can get Ohio, that's a really great start. I think he'll do good in Michigan as well. I think he'll do good in Pennsylvania. Kind of the same uh, like pro-union, um, don't talk about gun regulation type areas. That's where I think uh, these candidates need to shine. And that's where I think people like Cory Booker from New Jersey and Sherrod Brown from Ohio are going to shine out and really beat their competition we also have places like Iowa where the Democratic primaries are going to start which is going to be the first real test was a pretty uh, red to purple state people like Sherrod Brown and like Cory Booker have been courting the area I think Sherrod Brown was there most recently talking about uh, talking about the 2020 election but not saying he's going to run Booker was there a few months ago around the time of the election, and that was the first clue that he was going to throw his hat in in the ring. So there it is. That's your official CM Life ranking of the logos. I say official. I didn't talk to literally anybody else, but uh, that's what I think. And that that's quite honestly, I think that's a pretty objective ranking. Gillibrand first. Um... What did I say? Ojeda up there. Um, Julian. Julian Booker kind of second. And then Tulsi Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren rounding out the back of the pack. I think I'm going to end the podcast there. That's a pretty non-political way of ranking the candidates. And I think that everybody can agree that these logos are that order. Once again, thank you guys for listening to In It Together. My name is Jeremy Augusta. Tune in next week.